Section 10 of Tales from Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tales from Dickens by Hallie Ermine Rivers. Barnaby Rudge. 4. Barnaby Prospers at Last. Haredale searched vainly next day for Emma and Dolly Varden. He could not believe that they had lost their lives in the burning building, yet he was filled with anxiety because of their disappearance. Could he have known what had happened, he would have been even more fearful. Simon Tappertit had been his chance at last to win for himself the lovely Dolly, who had scorned him when he was an apprentice of the locksmith. He had bribed Hugh and the hangman to aid him. While the mob was occupied at the front of the house, this precious pair had entered from the back, seized the two girls, and put them into a coach. This they guarded at a distance till the burning was done. Then, with Tappertit on the box, and surrounded by his ruffians, the coach was driven into the city. Emma had spent the day in the fear that her uncle had been killed with other Catholics in London, and at this new and surpassing fright she had fainted. Dolly, though no less concerned, had fought her captors bravely, though vainly. Often in that long ride she wished that Joe, her vanished lover, were there to rescue her, as he had rescued her once from Maypole Hugh. She had determined when she reached the London streets to scream as loudly as she could for help, but before they came to the city Hugh climbed into the carriage and sat between them, threatening to choke either if she made a noise. In this wise they were driven to a miserable cottage, and in the dirty apartment to which they were taken, Dolly threw herself upon the unconscious Emma and wept pitifully, unmindful of the jeers of Hugh and of the hangman. When Tappertit entered the room suddenly, Dolly, not knowing his part in the plot, screamed with joy and threw herself into his arms, crying, I knew it! My dear father's at the door! Heaven bless you for rescuing us! but she saw in an instant her mistake, when the ridiculous braggart laid his hand on his breast and told her, now that he no longer was an apprentice, but a famous leader of the people, he had chosen to be her husband. With this announcement, he left them. Meanwhile, Mrs. Rudge, day and night, had searched everywhere for Barnaby. In one of the riots she was injured and was taken to a hospital, and while she lay there she heard, with agony, that her son had been so active in the disturbances that a price had been put by the government on his head. But in his present trouble Barnaby had unexpectedly found an old friend. Joe Willett, just returned with one empty sleeve from his five years of soldiering in America, had been with the soldiers in the barracks when Barnaby had been brought there on his way to prison. He soon discovered who the boy's rioting companions had been, and took them word of his plight, for he knew it meant death to Barnaby unless he escaped. Maypole Hugh, Tappertit, and the hangman were all itching for more disorder, and this news gave them an excuse. They went out at once and gathered the mob together to attack Newgate Prison, and to release all the prisoners. They themselves led the procession. The house of Varden, Dolly's father, was on their way. They stopped there, and in spite of the lusty fight he made, carried the locksmith with them to compel him to open the prison gates with his tools. This he refused to do, and they would doubtless have killed him, but for two men who dragged him from their clutches in the nick of time. These two men were the one-armed Joe and Edward Chester, just returned from the West Indies, whom the former had met by accident that day. 
They took the locksmith to his home, while the raging crowd brought furniture from neighboring houses and built a bonfire of it to burn down the great prison gate. From this same mob, Haredale himself had a narrow escape. He was staying at a house nearby, which, belonging to a Catholic, was attacked. He tried to escape across the roof, but was recognized from the street by the giant Hugh. The cellar luckily had a back door opening into a lane, and with the assistance of Joe and Edward, who had hastened to the rear to aid him, he escaped that way. Maypole Hugh, during this terrible time while the mob was burning houses everywhere, and the soldiers firing on the riots in every quarter of London, seemed to bear a charmed life. He rode a great brewer's horse, and carried an axe, and wherever the fight was thickest, there he was to be found. Never had such a sight been seen in London as when the prison gate fell and the crowd rushed from cell to cell, smashing the iron doors to release the prisoners, some of whom, being under sentence of death, had never expected to be free again. Rudge, the murderer, knowing nothing of what the uproar meant, suffered tortures, thinking in his guilty fear that the hordes were howling for his life. When he was finally released and in the open street, he found Barnaby beside him. They broke off their fetters, and that night took refuge in a shed in a field. Next day, Rudge sent Barnaby to try to find the blind man, his cunning partner, in whose wits he trusted to help them get away. Barnaby brought the blind man, and brought also Hugh, whom he found wounded in the street, but in so doing he was seen by Dennis the hangman. This villainous sneak, knowing that the daring of the rioters had reached its limit, and that they must soon be scattered and captured, and thinking to buy pardon for himself by a piece of trickery, without delay brought soldiers, who surrounded the shed. The blind man, attempting to run away, was shot dead, and the others, Rudge, Hugh, and poor innocent Barnaby, were captured. Then, well satisfied with his work, Dennis set out for the house where Simon Tappertit had confined Emma Haredale and Dolly Varden. The hangman wanted them well out of the way, so they could not testify that he had helped to burn the warren and to kidnap them. He had thought of a plan to have them taken to a boat in the river and conveyed where their friends would never find them, and to carry them off he chose Gashford, Lord George Gordon's secretary, who was the more willing as he had fallen in love with Emma's beauty. But this wicked plan was never to be carried out. The very hour that Gashford came on this pitiless errand, while he roughly bade Emma prepare to depart, the doors flew open. Men poured in, led by Edward Chester, who knocked Gashford down, and in another moment Emma was clasped in her uncle's embrace, and Dolly, laughing and crying at the same time, fell into the arms of her father. Their place of concealment had been discovered a few hours before, and the three men had lost no time in planning their capture. Dennis the hangman, in spite of his previous treachery, caught in the trap, was taken straightway to jail, and Simon Tappertit, wounded and raging, watched Dolly's departure from the floor, where he lay with his wonderful legs, the pride and glory of his life, broken and crushed into shapeless ugliness. The famous riots were over. Lord George Gordon was a prisoner, hundreds were being arrested, and London was again growing quiet. Mrs. Rudge, poor mother, at last found Barnaby where he lay chained in his cell and condemned to death. Day after day she never left him, while Varden, the locksmith, and Haredale worked hard for his release. They carried his case even to the king, and at the last moment, while he rode on his way to execution, his pardon was granted. 
Of the rest who died on the scaffold, Rudge the murderer was hanged, cursing all men to the last. Maypole Hugh died glorying in his evil life, and with a jest on his lips, and Dennis, the hangman, was dragged to the gallows, cringing and shrieking for mercy. A few weeks later, Emma Haredale was married to Edward Chester, and sailed with him back to the West Indies, where he had established a flourishing business. Before this, however, his father, Sir John Chester, was well punished for his hard heart and bad deeds by the discovery that Maypole Hugh, the hostler, was really his own unacknowledged son, whose mother he had deserted many years before. But even this blow, and the marriage of his son Edward to the niece of his lifelong enemy, did not soften him. He still hated Haredale, with his old venom and love to go to the ruins of the Warren and gloat over its destruction. In one of these visits he met and taunted Haredale beyond all endurance. The two men drew their swords and fought a duel, which ended by Haredale's running Sir John through the heart. Haredale left England at once, entered a convent in a foreign country, and spent his few remaining years in penance and remorse. Lord George Gordon, the poor deluded noble who had been the cause of all this disorder, finally died, harmless and quite crazy, in Newgate Prison. Simon Tappertit, in spite of his active part in the riots, was luckier, for he got off with two wooden legs and lived for many years a corner boot-black. Joe, of course, married Dolly Varden, and the locksmith gave her such a generous marriage portion that he was able to set up in business, succeeding his father as landlord of the old Maypole Inn, and there they lived long and happily. Barnaby Rudge, after the death of his father, gradually became more rational, and was everywhere a great favorite with old and young. He and his mother lived always on the Maypole farm, and there were never two more contented souls than they. As for Grip, the raven, he soon forgot his jail experience and grew sleek and glossy again. For a whole year he never uttered a word, till one sunny morning he suddenly broke out with, I'm a devil, I'm a devil, I'm a devil, in extraordinary rapture. From that time on, he talked more and more, and as he was only one hundred and fifty years old when Barnaby was gray-headed, a mere infant for a raven, he is very probably talking yet. End of section 10. Recording by Lee Smalley.